teacher out this door okay good morning again please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians Philippians chapter 3, there's Bibles underneath the seat too if you need them. Philippians 3, I'll be reading verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends faith. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired word. Father, this morning, help us read well. Help us read your written word accurately. Help me teach. Help me expound Help me clarify the beauty of this salvation in your Son and cause our hearts to leap for joy and peace in it. Amen and amen. These words, this, these, this heart of the gospel that Paul expresses here about his daily passion and drive that on that future day he be found in Christ not having any righteousness of his own that comes from his obedience to the Bible. But he seeks a righteousness that is God's, and it's given to him in faith. And so last week, we began four-week mini-series in the midst of this, because this gets at the heart of what the New Testament's referring to, having been justified by faith. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is week two. Last week, we saw... That the heart of the gospel was God's mercy flowing from the cross where God's just wrath and punishment were diverted away from every human being who would be in Christ. His wrath was diverted by Jesus standing in as the substitute and God's wrath 
appeased, propitiated in his death. But that's only one side of the coin of what justification is. On the one side of the coin is where our punishment for our sin was appeased in Jesus' death, which brings us forgiveness of sins. But that's not the whole thing of what the core Christianity is. On the other side of the coin is the positive, where Jesus' perfect human life lived is given to the account of everyone who is in Christ. His righteousness. It's what the New Testament means when Paul says, Christ is my righteousness. And together then, the forgiveness of sins on the cross and Jesus' actual human life, the whole 30-some-odd years of active righteousness is at the core of what justification by faith alone is. We saw last week that the term to be justified means to be declared righteous. It's a legal term that's used in the court of law where the court declares guilty or not guilty, justified. It is a once-for-all declaration by God of those who come to faith in Christ that you are declared righteous, acquitted, and you stand before God perfect. Justification by faith. This is what we're seeing today now. Last week, one side of the coin. This week, the other. That's two or double, there was a double imputation in the salvific work of Jesus. Now that's a big word, imputation. The King James Version translates a a significant word that we're going to see in a minute with the word God imputed or imputation. So to impute, for instance, To impute bad motives to somebody is not to cause that person to have bad motives. It's not to put bad motives in the other person. That's not what impute means. Impute means either this person here, rightly or wrongly, imputes or accuses or assumes that the person had bad motives. Something happening in this person doing the imputation. It's not something happening in the object, the other person to whom he's imputing. Last week we covered from Romans 3 where Christ made propitiation. Why? How did that happen? Because God imputed our sin to Jesus. He did not extract our sin out of our soul with a syringe and then shoot it into Jesus so that He has the virus of sin and thus He is actually a sinner. That's not what He did. He imputed, He reckoned, He considered our sin to be on Him. 
Now, this morning, it's the other side of that. God also imputes Jesus' righteousness, his perfect human life, where Adam failed. And Jesus didn't fail. Lived in perfect, positive obedience to God, his Father, and the law of God. And he doesn't take a syringe out of Jesus and then shoots it into us. He imputes it to our account before him forever. Okay, I'm going to read some scripture. Get your minds active. Let's feel it. We saw last week where Paul says in Romans 3, verse 24, and we sinners are justified, meaning are declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 2.16, Paul writes, we know that a person is not justified or not declared righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ Jesus so that, or in order that, we would be declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be declared righteous. And it's that gospel that led Paul to say in our passage of Philippians 3, that I only seek to be found in Christ. Not at all having a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to God's law. But that which comes to me, put to my account, by faith, through faith, through my faith in Christ. That is, quote, the righteousness from God to me that depends. Now, I'm going to turn in a moment to Romans 4. You might turn there. The word that the old King James translates impute, or the word that, that, that means to put to the account of another, or to credit, to credit that person, their bank account with that, the Greek word is logizomai. And it's used nine times in Romans 4. So, let's hear it. Beginning with verse 3, Paul writes, For what does the Scripture say? It says this, and he quotes, he quotes Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God, and it was logizomai. It was imputed ESV translates it, counted to him 
is righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted or imputed as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is imputed or counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Verse 11, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted, imputed to them as well. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted or imputed to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and He was raised for our justification. All right. Here's the big question I want to start with, and there's a reason I want to do that, and you hopefully you'll see it in the end. When we stand before God justified by faith, does that mean that faith that we have, that faith itself is a kind of righteousness that we perform. And then God sees it and He counts that to be righteousness. Okay. Let me give you an illustration of what the question, what I just said. But, Back in 1980, I was 18, 19, I probably made $2.35 an hour. And I plowed into the back of some woman's little VW bug and just crushed it in. And I wanted to go around insurance because my parents wouldn't find out it was their car. And so at the time, my sister was dating a Saudi Arabian Muslim who came from a very wealthy oil family. His name was Mohammed. The bill for that car was $800. So I go to Mohammed and I say, could you, could you front me 800 bucks? And I'll come back every week with my paycheck and pay you 50 bucks a week. And he said, yeah, sure. So he did. I go back the first week, 50 bucks. Second week, 50 bucks. Third week, fourth week. And on the fourth week, after I paid him 200 of the 800, he says, okay, that's it. I see your faithfulness, and you know, I know you're going to pay it all back. So I, that's it. I, I'm going to tell you it's now paid in full. I'm going to reckon, now he didn't use these words, but this is what he meant. I'm going to consider that $200 to actually be the 800. I'm going to consider your, your faith to be 
itself. Righteousness. Now the question is, is that what it means? Is justification, God recognizing saving faith in me as itself to be righteousness? And thus he credits or he imputes that faith for what it really is. Righteousness. Well, not, the 200 is not the whole $800, but he imputes those dollars to be the full righteousness. Is that what Paul means when he says in verse 3 and verse 5 of Romans 4, faith is counted as righteousness. And the unequivocal answer to that question is no. It's not what he means, and it's crucial. Justification before God is not God's seeing any righteousness in me, including my faith. But justification is God's imputing or crediting to me His own righteousness in Christ through my faith. And the distinction really matters. It's just nitpicking few reasons. First reason it matters is this. That, that phrase in the way it's translated in those two verses is liable to being misunderstood. Faith is counted as righteousness. Sounds like faith is recognized to be righteousness. Good. And it's not. And the reason that it is important, a couple decades ago, in the 1990s, a school of thought within Christendom started to rise up, and that's how they were interpreting it, and that's exactly what they were trying to say. That Paul, in justification, means that righteousness really is your faith that God Himself considers to be righteous. That school of thought is called the new perspective on Paul. Second reason that it is crucial to see the difference is because Paul spends the entirety of Romans chapter 4 interpreting, unfolding Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or imputed to him as righteousness. So if we misunderstand what Paul is saying here in Romans 4, we have misunderstood the gospel. It's that crucial. Is your legal standing before God, as you sit here now or one day you might have time enough to know that you have 24 hours left to live as you're dying. Is your legal standing with God based on what He is? 
or is it based on what you are, the degree of your faith at that moment? Another way to put that is, is your justification, is your righteousness before God founded on something outside of you or something inside of you? And how you answer that question, either way, the glory of God is at stake in that answer and your peace with God through Jesus Christ hangs in the balance on how you answer it. And the third reason it's crucial is because imputation and impartation are different. And you should not confuse them as you understand the gospel and the Christian life. God does impart to every child that is His through faith. God imparts the Holy Spirit into us, changing us, molding us, growing us. But the way the New Testament puts it, all of that work is resting on something else that's prior to it. It's built on an even firmer foundation. The impartation is built on the imputation of Christ's righteousness to our account. What God is doing in the Christian is logically subsequent to and built on what God has done outside of the Christian Justified him. Declared you, believer, perfectly and positively righteous before him. The distinction between the New Testament doctrine of justification and the New Testament doctrine of sanctification is crucial, really matters. Justification happens once and for all, the moment God caused you to be born again. Which means the moment you tasted, I believe, you had faith. Sanctification from that justification is a lifelong process. Till you die or go be with Christ. And to understand that makes a huge difference on how you wake up every day and how you will fight, which if, if you don't fight against your flesh, against sin in your life, you might not be a Christian. But how you fight will be different depending on if you understand the doctrine of justification. Do you battle in your daily life in order to get right with God? Or do you battle because you are right with God? Doctrine, understanding is really practical.
Know what you stand on and not what you're trying to climb to. In the fight of faith, the daily pursuit of holiness and growth as you walk with Jesus. When Paul says faith is counted as righteousness, he does not mean that our faith is our righteousness. He means our faith is what unites us with Christ and everything that belongs to Christ Jesus then belongs to us. And particularly his human mortal life lived in perfect righteousness. You know, it's crystal clear in the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that some dude named Adam, first man created, feel free, everything, I've given it all to you, Adam. I'm here for you. Oh, but one thing, just one thing, one commandment here. You eat of every tree, every tree I've given you, in a whole garden. But there's one tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. Don't do that. For the day you do, I'll judge you. Death will come. And that knucklehead disobeyed. And we don't like it, but he disobeyed on our behalf. And he plunged the entire human race into sin. And that's why every one of my children were born under God's wrath. Little babies were broken. They inherited the sin nature. Adam represented it for them. They will perish in hell unless they come to faith in Christ, the second Adam, who's the representative for every sinner who is in Christ. And thus, where, where Adam and his sin was imputed to us and thus infused, Christ Jesus is perfect righteousness and perfect obedience is imputed to sinners and ultimately is being and will be perfectly infused later. And those are distinct. They're not the same. So in Romans 4, let's look again how Paul puts this. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due, as his paycheck. And to the one who does not work, but believes, that's the verb form of faith, pistuo, but believes in him who justifies, 
declares righteous the non-righteous, the ungodly. To that one, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works of the law. Verse 11, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Notice, faith is not the thing counted or credited as righteousness, but righteousness is the thing imputed to us. It is the thing counted to us. So when Paul says, Faith is counted as righteousness. He means God credits, God imputes righteousness to one's account through faith. See the analogy he uses? Wages. Work. The wages are not the work. They're distinct. In verse 5, the righteousness is not the faith. They're distinct. Work earns wages. Faith receives righteousness. Flip back a chapter. Romans 3, verse 21. Now hear Paul. For now, but now, the righteousness of God, there it is, God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they spoke of it. That is this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is God's righteousness that comes to the sinner through faith in Christ. In other words, faith in Jesus unites us to this gift of God's righteousness. Faith is not itself deemed to be righteousness. There are voices. There are scholars who who are out there now. I can give you their books. It's exactly what they're arguing. And it's scary. The gospel is at stake. This is what's at the core of Paul's joy here. The imputation Christ's righteousness when he cries out in Philippians 3 for Jesus' sake. I have willingly suffered the loss of all my obedience to God's law. And any righteousness I thought I had because I was doing okay, I have suffered the loss of all of it. In order that I may gain Christ. 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to the law. Mm -mm. But that which comes through faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith in Christ. And so when Paul says here that, that his aim is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own, but, but, but having God's righteousness, he clearly does not mean that what I really seek is the righteousness that really is actually my faith. It's not what he's saying. Because he's clear, the righteousness that he seeks isn't his own. And it comes to him through his faith. And it depends on his faith. I know I'm going to say, I'm saying this already eight times. Say it eight more. Because you should know it. You should know it as well as you know Jesus was raised from the dead. You should understand what you mean when you, when you, what it means when you're reading it. And if someone asks you, as you read, Christ, my righteousness, words like that, you should, and they say, what does that mean? You should know it. Because you should know it in your private life and in your battle against sin and death which, come, which is coming to every one of us as we'll stand before God. In other words, be clear on what Christianity is. When you know that, then you'll know what Christianity isn't. And there are a lot of counterfeits. In other words, be clear on the gospel. Imputed righteousness is un. External righteousness outside of you. It is a righteousness. It does refer to the creature in this context. Being righteous, living righteously, morally, holy before God. The imputed righteousness, it's not yours. And that is such good news. It's external to you. We did not do it. But it has been put to our account before the courtroom. Who is God? In response to our faith in Christ. Imputation is like me saying to my son Caleb, Caleb, to turn for the dishes, here's the rule now. You must have the dishes done by 5 p.m. or you will not be allowed to go to the sleepover. 
Okay, okay. And so Caleb gets busy with all of his schoolwork all day long. He always has to get that done as fast as he can. Get it over with. But he didn't plan right. Slipped his mind. I get home at 4.30. I walk in the house and find, where's Caleb? He's with mom at the store. And I go in the kitchen and the dishes are not done. I decide to wash the dishes. Caleb gets home at two minutes to five. I say, hey, Caleb. Hi, Dad. Did you wash the dishes? And his face turns white. Because he totally forgot. And he knew the rule. And he knew the consequences. And he apologizes. And he, he submits to the consequences. And then I say, Caleb, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to credit the clean dishes here in the kitchen to your account. In response to your apology, to, in response to, to, to your realizing recognition and your submission to the consequences, I told you that unless those dishes are done, you cannot go to the sleepover. They're done. They're done. No, you didn't do them. But I'm putting them to your account. They're yours, and you may go to the sleepover. Okay. When I say that to him, I don't mean that when I say, by your apology, sincerity, I don't mean that your sincerity in the apology is itself the clean dishes. It's not. It's grace. I did them. It was my work, not your work. Caleb's apology connects him with the promise to go to the sleepover. The clean dishes are his because they have been attributed to him. To his account, by me, he didn't do them, I imputed them to him. Through and by means of grace. Grace, it says, look at that, you trust. Now, one more, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and listen carefully to Paul talk about this double imputation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin. That is, the one who knew no sin. So that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. God imputed our sins to Jesus' account. That is, to the one human being who himself never, ever, ever sinned. He imputed our sin to his account. And God imputed his righteousness to us, to, to us 
who had no righteousness of our own. We had no clean dishes. The key phrases right there are the righteousness of God and in Him. It's not our righteousness. That's not the righteousness we get of anything in us. It's God's righteousness. And we get it. Not because our faith is righteous, but because we are in Christ. Faith unites us to Jesus. And in Jesus, we have a foreign or an alien to us righteous life. his but it becomes ours as we are in him through imputation Christ takes our sin via imputation and we receive his righteousness imputed to us it is the difference between inherent within me righteousness or even a righteousness growing in me by God's work. It's the difference between something in us and something imputed to our account. And that issue right there was one of the few core main Issues in the great Protestant Reformation debate between Rome and the Reformers. Pause for a moment. We'll get there in a second. If Jesus only died for our sins by imputation and God punishes him, Vindicates him on the third day and raises him from the dead. And thus our sins have been nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. We are no longer before God guilty. Then, if that were it, we would only stand before God now in a neutral state. Yes, we are guilt-free, forgiven of sin, but nothing positive. The other half of justification is that God declares believers not merely forgiven of sins, but positively righteous as a human being. As if we lived the perfect, obedient life that Jesus actually lived. When you read stuff in your Bible like clothed in His righteousness, that's what it means. Now, 
real briefly as I'm closing. And I'm bringing it up because it's huge. It's huge in church history. And, it, and, it, and, it's, it's, and it's not a little, little teeny thing. It is a massive thing that has tentacles that go, go everywhere. And that is that the foundation, the means by which God declares any of us sinners justified, righteous, the foundation differs radically between the Roman Catholic Church and Paul or the Reformation Church. For Rome, the declaration of justified, righteous, follows the infusion to your soul and thus your actions and your thoughts and your feelings. It follows the infusion of a change in you. And thus it's based on you are more holy than you were the day before. And thus, you're justified. That, that is, just briefly, I was raised a Roman Catholic. That is why you go to confession. Because you're justified. I have it. I'm cleansed, forgiven on my way to heaven. And then, of course, before you get home, you've already sinned. And if you did a mortal sin, it means it killed your justification. Killed your new birth. It killed your new life. And you got to redone it all over again. But based upon a change in you, you're declared righteous. And then God gives from there varying measures of justification based upon the degree of your inward holiness at the moment. And the result, this was clearly my experience because it's solid Roman Catholic doctrine. The result is that no one can ever really be sure of their state of grace standing before God down here. In the late 1500s, the Roman church responded to the Reformation in the Council of Trent. And this is their words. If one considers his own weakness and his defective disposition, I certainly do mine, okay, he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of grace, his state of grace, as nobody knows with the certainty of faith that he has achieved justification. The, the official catechism of the Roman Catholic Church sitting in my study states this. Justification detaches man from sin. No, it doesn't. And it purifies his heart of sin. No, that's not what justification is referring to in the New Testament. It frees from the enslavement to sin. No. That's the process of sanctification, not justification. Justification includes the remission of sins. Yes, it does. 
And it includes sanctification. No, it doesn't. And it includes the renewal of the mind. No, it doesn't. For Paul, the declaration of justified, having been justified by faith, it follows faith alone and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. The man, Jesus, lived in absolute obedience to God. He perfectly fulfilled the demands of God's law. Sinlessly. Perfect human righteousness. And then, this is what, as a believer, you should be able to confidently say. This is why it's called the good news. Of Jesus. He then stood in my place, and the punishment, the wrath that was justly due to me, was poured out on him as my sins were imputed to him. And therefore, I stand before God in Christ's place, clothed in His righteousness. What Paul has been saying throughout his letters, concisely says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, is that Jesus became, not in, by infusion, He became by imputation what He was not, a condemned criminal. So that we become what we are not in ourselves declared righteous in God's sight. And then lay your head down on your be amazed when you wake up still loving Jesus because that's God carrying you. And as I close here, second time, right? Back in the 1600s, John Bunyan, he wrote one of the most read and sold books in human history called The Pilgrim's Progress. Great book if you haven't read the allegory. When John Bunyan was a young man, he was being tormented as a Christian with the uncertainty about his standing with God as he was so aware of his sin, tormented until the doctrine of Christ's imputation invaded his soul and he saw it. This is how he describes his experience. One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He lacks my righteousness. Because 
That righteousness was right in front of him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better. Nor yet my bad frame of heart or thoughts that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. And now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. So that from that time, those dreadful scriptures that are causing him so much pain, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me because he put them in their place. And we'll go there in the next couple of weeks. And now I went also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. That's how he then lived his life. Like Paul lift his in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on Let's love this gospel, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humbling yourself, a wonderful, loving creator. Becoming one of us. True human being. To be our representative before your Father and now our Father. In perfect righteousness. Having put away our guiltiness before the throne of heaven forever by the sacrifice of yourself on the cross. We love you. We love this glorious new life now and promised forever in the resurrection.